This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. May 19th, 1991. Willie T. Ribs had been grinding at Indianapolis Motor Speedway for a month trying to qualify for the Indy 500. Surrounded by his peers and haunted by a career of false starts and prejudice, it didn't seem like Willie would make the cut. He was up against two blown engines, two failed qualifying events, and a seemingly insurmountable gap between his scrappy hardware and the high-tech machines of the other racers. But Willie still had a few tricks left up his sleeve. Willie entered the final qualifying event using an engine gifted from Buick, but it wasn't enough. He blew his third engine of qualifying. With only hours left to get into the 500, the team disassembled the engine, assessed the situation, and tried again for the fourth time. That day, Willie became part of racing and perhaps, more importantly, American history. But why did it take so long for Willie to get the start he deserved? Where did he get his brash attitude and how did it affect his career? And how did he finally become the first black driver to drive a Formula One car and race in the Indy 500? Today on Pass Gas, we look at a legend of racing, Willie T. Ribs. Pass Gas Podcast. It's about cars, it's not about ports. Welcome to Pass Gas, everybody. My name is Nolan Sykes. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host. Across from me at the table is James Pumphrey. Kobe. And I just threw trash all the way across the room into the can. Nice. Laced it like my dude. Nice. Very Kobe. well done. R.I.P., baby. Next to me is Joe Weber. Uh, what's up, Wink Wink Nation? How, how? <laughs> I haven't done that in a while. It feels weird. Felt good. Felt uh, good. I'm going to be trying out my old yeah, catchphrases. Yeah, bring yeah. them back. Bring them yeah. back. Yeah. We're remastering them. Yeah. Until they don't 4K. feel weird anymore. Joe just yeah. bought back the masters to all of his trademarks. Yeah, yeah. Just re- and changed the lyrics a little bit. Remix them. They were owned by Martin Shkreli. Yeah, Martin Shkreli <laughs> owned all of them. Uh, he had them. So we had Shook Knight go after him. Yeah. He hung them over a balcony. We got them yeah. back, baby. Guys, I want to thank all you listeners for getting us to number one on the automotive podcast uh, charts. Yeah. We really can't thank you guys enough. Number thank you so much. one automotive podcast in the world That's pretty awesome and a hundred thousand subscribers on youtube yeah so thank you guys so much for all that and hey if you're watching this on video you might have noticed that we're doing this on video now we're doing again. It on video, baby you can yeah. even see us right now yeah. hi <laughs> hey uh we saw your comments decided to bring it back so uh there you go it's gonna take a little bit getting used to to be doing the podcast in clothes again yeah yeah when we weren't recording we were all naked we Just were doing it, it in a sauna well, no, one, no. no one was wearing a three-piece suit which no was one crazy. was in the sauna which is nuts he said he wanted to be extra wet and sweaty extra yeah. wet and sweaty those that's, suits do not breathe that's no. my secret in and out order yeah. <laughs> I, I get it extra sweat. wet and sweaty four and patties sweaty. extra <laughs> wet and sweaty <laughs> four pa- can i get a Quadruple, quadruple, extra wet and sweaty. Yeah, mm, that's when they yum. just pour a sprite on top of it. <laughs> yeah, that's like pretty good. Uh, we also have launched an Instagram page for Pass Gas as well. Check it out at 
Pass Gas Podcast. It's got all kinds of clips and memes clips. on it. Yeah, that's right. If you're like, I only have time for the funniest clips, then go check go out. Check them out. Yeah. If you're like, man, how should I dress? I need a little styling inspiration from my favorite automotive creators, the hosts of the number one automotive podcast on the planet. Go check out the clips. You can see half yeah. of our outfits. Not my, our pants or shoes. My theme today is stolen valor. Oh, okay. Well. <laughs> You're stealing the valor of both an army uh, person <laughs> and a baseball player. <laughs> <laughs> really T ribs. Have you seen the documentary? Up in yeah. Yeah, I right. have. We have all really seen good. it. We've all awesome. seen it. Right. Uh, remember when Buick wasn't racing? I yeah. was just going to say, <laughs> it's so weird to read that Buick gave him an engine, but then you realize the, the Grand National mm-hmm. came from that. They were like, Buick, I feel like, has never not been an old person's. I think in our life. lifetime, Buick has never been like. Cool. Yeah, Fred Willard is drives Buicks. <laughs> yeah. Have any more of that old-fashioned race car? <laughs> Buick is the ginger ale of, of cars the old-fashioned yeah. ginger ale, yeah. not just ginger ale yeah the old-fashioned kind we don't like that new ginger ale give no. me the old stuff it doesn't oh, even burn spicy. doesn't even spite it has no spice this has, new stuff yeah. this new stuff has no spice reeds get like out of here Sprite give me burners. the lemon basically Freaking, i hate the new ginger ale give me the old-fashioned ginger yeah, ale totally artificially flavored when ginger it ale. was when you would tell me what it was about well, I like the old where stuff. Where are the has, shows and where are the old-fashioned ginger ale? It has the sprig of ginger at the bottom, and when you're done, you eat it. That's tight. And you're, I'd say newfangled ginger ales are spicier than the old-fashioned. Oh, they're time. so spicy. They're ginger good. brew? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I crashed Ginger a, what? <laughs> ginger brew. Ginger brew. Ginger brew. I crashed my grandpa's Buick into a tree one time. Oh, yeah? How old were you? 16. What, what was going on? Uh... Well, I was I was taking a turn at thirty five miles per hour, and it was more than ninety degrees, and I didn't know it. Oh, I see. A little hairpin. And there yeah. were four people in the car, and I turned, and it just kept going straight. Uh-huh. And I was about to crash into someone's front living room. Yeah. And I turned at the last second. We popped over the curb, and I turned to hit the tree so I wouldn't go into their house. Nice. And it was completely just like that, gushing out coolant. I we got out. Everyone was fine. And then I realized no one came out of the house. No one drove by. <laughs> and so just very quietly <laughs> backed up. And um, it died right in front of my parents' house. What? Like, hey, mom, somebody hit Grandpa's car. Oh, my car. God. Yeah. What, oh, I was what, skateboarding and my you, skateboard how, flew up <laughs> in the car. How did you approach that situation? With my parents? Yeah. Uh, I called them. We were just like, freaking out for a second. Probably on a flip phone. Hey yo! Yeah, it was. Remember those? LG Remember flip phone. family computers? Anyway, <laughs> I called them and my dad was like, "Grandpa just gave you that car," um, and then it was like, silent for a couple of seconds. He goes, "Did anyone come out?" <laughs> I was like, "No." <laughs> Did anyone see you? No. And so I just backed it up. <laughs> he met me there and he was like, "Look, there's no damage. There's a little bark." <laughs> and, and your dad taught you a valuable lesson yeah. of that day: no face, <laughs> no case. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> But it all worked out. We didn't do any damage. Sometimes you mess up, and it works out. Yeah, Yeah. sometimes you mess up, there's no witnesses, and it all works out. I could have been the kid that drove into someone's living room, but instead. I would have made national news in the early 2000s. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Early mid-2000s. When did you do it? September 10th, 2001. Yeah. We're going to talk about Willie T. Ribs today. You might have seen him. You might have seen the documentary about him called Uppity. Um, very interesting story. I'm glad that we're finally covering it here on this show. Mm-hmm. I can't believe we haven't covered it yet. I feel like we've talked about We've done we've a video a couple times, I think. Yeah. You may have also seen him in San Jose, California in nineteen fifty five when he was born. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> oh, that's how I know him. Yeah, that's that right. Might be how you know him. <laughs> yeah, San Jose, nineteen fifty five. That's where his father, William Bunny Ribs oh, great name. Senior. Yeah, so jealous of that nickname. <laughs> what if they call me Bunny, dude? Uh, but you know he's like a big dude. It's like one sure. of those ironic nicknames. Yeah. Bunny Sr. ran the only black-owned plumbing business in the entire city of San Jose. Because of his business's success, his dad was able to afford motorsports as a hobby. Willie grew up around cars, motorcycles, and go-karts. He was just surrounded by wheels. Just at couldn't get enough corner. 
His dad would even race cars at the track every once in a while and take little Willie with him. When Willie was around five or six years old, he met one of his first heroes, legendary racer Dan Gurney. This is how it, how every story happens. They were hanging out at the bar next to the track. And the six-year-old Carol ordered Shelby. an old-fashioned. <laughs> <laughs> According to uh, Willie's brother, Philip, quote, Oh, God, he just followed him all over the track. <laughs> were you there when we went to Apple Valley? Uh-huh. And all day there's just uh-huh. this like five year old desert rat kid with no shirt. He looked like the kid from Mad Max too. Yeah, <laughs> he looked I'm like not a, joking. He looked like a cartoon yeah. dirty kid. Did he have a mullet? No, he had a version of it. He had long hair. Yeah, long hair. And we were just like grown men with a van. Yeah. And whoever's in charge, whoever's <laughs> you were in, warned about this. Yeah. Whoever's in charge of this kid was just like, oh, that's cool. It's just like 12 grown men with a van. Yep. And the kid would like ride around on his little dirt bike yeah, all day and bike. hang out with us. And we're like, we're on the skid pad doing yeah. drifts and stuff. We should. Those should kids go are away. built different, though. Desert yeah. kids, they can get hit by a car and be fine. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah. We were worried about the car. Yeah. When Willie was 12, the local sheriff caught him driving his mom's Lotus Cortina what? in the California mountains. That's yeah. a cool car for a mom. His parents, <laughs> his parents didn't punish Willie, but they sent him to live on his grandfather's ranch where he would spend most of his childhood. Willie and his brother Philip were fearful of their grandfather. Or as Willie put it in Uppity, the documentary about his life and career, quote, if you got in trouble, my grandfather was the person you worried about. It wasn't the law. He was only five foot four, but he was as big as Shaquille O'Neal. I'm pretty sure Shaq is over seven foot four. Dude, Shaq yeah, just dropped a new freestyle. Really? I've seen mm-hmm. the. Wow. I've heard it. Have you seen the video where he's in the semi truck? Yeah. yeah. The, and the comp is so bad. Yeah. The steering wheel's like right here, and his hands up here. Yeah. No, I like it. I love it. It's yeah. pretty good. Someone else wrote it for sure. He's been DJing a lot, dude. I know. Shaq Diesel, I can dude. barely barely got time for us anymore. Yeah. Willie's grandfather had high standards for the boys and high expectations for the workload on the ranch, though he also imparted many important life lessons as grandpas do. Life lessons like how to steer heavy vehicles in dirt and how to set goals for one's life. And even though his grandfather didn't approve of racing cars, Willie told him about his dream of racing in the Indy 500. There were no black drivers at the time, so his grandfather told him, quote, you're a fool. He replied, Grandpa, that's what I want to do. So when Willie was 21 years old, he left home for England to start his career and drive in the 1977 Formula 4 championship. What a cool life already. Pretty sweet, man. Yeah. Because he's a kid on a farm. Your grandpa's five foot four. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's got a ranch and he makes ranch. Your mom drives a Lotus. That's yeah, pretty sick. Dude, this like this freaking sick life. When he arrived in England, Willie was determined to drive for the best. He knew from reading Autosport magazine that Scorpion Racing and its owner, Mike Eastick, were successful. So he drove out to Eastick's farm and knocked on his door. Eastick thought he was there to get a job on his farm, but Willie told him he wanted to race. In Willie's word, if you brought money, whether it was personal money or sponsored dollars, he'd put you in a race car. I paid him with my college money. That's cool. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Willie raced with Mike Eastick's team, Scorpion Racing School, and he dominated he won six races in 11 starts and earned so many points he didn't even need to finish the season before he won the 1977 Dunlop Formula Ford Championship. But he did anyways because that guy loves racing. Yeah, he was like, might as well. <laughs> His family couldn't believe it, but they also couldn't pay for it. And being a black driver at that time meant that it was difficult to find a sponsor. So without a sponsor or a massive financial backing from his family, Willie didn't have the opportunity to climb the F1 ladder, and he had to come home. That was the first time that Willie faced real rejection in the racing world based on the color of his skin. But it wouldn't be the last. Damn, that sucks to, like, dominate and then be like, well, that's all I can do. That's mm-hmm. all I can do. It's like, oh, uh, yeah, mate, sorry. Yeah. We're going to sponsor this guy that's worse. <laughs> He's a lord. Yeah, we're just gonna go with this guy who's worse than you, <laughs> mm, because he, we think he's better than you. Mm. <laughs> you know, yeah, I know. Anyway, get out. <laughs> <laughs> 
Willie wasted no time. Even though he was back in California, he was determined to race. He received a phone call from the Long Beach Grand Prix Association who offered him a spot for his first race in the U.S. with Formula Atlantic, a premier hmm. Formula Series in North America. Hmm. Even though Willie didn't have the best car, he knew it was about proving himself in his home country. Unfortunately, this would be difficult. At the driver's meeting before the first race of the series, no one spoke to him. No one even looked at him. His efforts in the UK were going unrecognized, and Willie quickly realized that if a white racer had hit the same milestones, it would be different. So Willie started to look past California, wondering what his next move was. And that's when he got a phone call from a promoter in North Carolina, Humpy Wheeler. <laughs> Dude, when do you think the last time a kid was named Humpy? This guy might have been the last Humpy ever. Well, might have been the, the first one. one, too. I've never heard that name. Humpy Wheeler. <laughs> Humpy. Also, he's Wheeler. a racing promoter whose last name is Wheeler. Yeah. Are we dumb? And, like, we just don't understand that, like, people changed their names. I think I am dumb. No, I don't yeah. think he changed his last name. To I Wheeler? think his name was probably Richard, and they called him Humpy Richard as, like, Wheeler? a seven-year-old. Because he humped stuff? Or maybe he had stuff. a crooked back. Maybe Ooh. he had, like, a big cyst on yeah. his neck. Yeah. Or a oh. bunch of them. Oh, that's... Humpy. Yeah, I didn't think of that. But, yeah. like, maybe... It's like, very likely that people were just being mean to him. Yeah, yeah for yeah. sure. But he stuck with it. He's a racing promoter. Why wouldn't he change his last name to Wheeler? That's like maybe people in the future are like, man, all these professional wrestlers back in the day had yeah. like such fortunate names. Yeah. Nobody names anyone The Rock anymore. <laughs> like, can you imagine someone being named Stone Cold Steve Austin today? If I was a racer, I'd I'd want to be named Axel Vector. That's a sick name. You're a bad guy, you know. Yeah, yeah I'm. Yeah, but I'm winning a lot. Yeah. But right. I, you know, running people off the road and stuff. Yeah, you either continue to be a bad a jerk yeah. and you lose in the last race, or you learn a valuable lesson about friendship and humility and you still lose in the last mm. race. Yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah. I'm going to change my last name to Content. Your last name is Content? <laughs> yeah. Nolan Content? Yeah. That's sick. Because it's fortuitous that I'm I work in entertainment. Yeah, I'm yeah. gonna change my. I'm gonna go a little bit more old school. I'm gonna change my last name to Riffman. Riffman. Yeah. Oh, gotcha. I riff for a living. Riff. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Jimmy Riffman. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. And my yeah. grandkids will be like, but hey, Jimmy Riffman your... is a name that, like, years later, people find out that guy's a pedo. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Fingers crossed on Jimmy that one, Riffman. Joe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just warning you, if you take that name, that might happen. <laughs> Lose control. Jimmy Riffman. <laughs> Jimmy Riffman. Mark Jimmy Thomas Riffman is a sniper. <laughs> he is a sniper. Mark Thomas Riffman. Yeah. But he, you Mark know, Thomas he made a 900-yard shot. Though. Yeah. He's, I mean, no civilian could make that shot. This guy was trained by the best of the best. He's ex-CIA. Yeah, he was on the grassy knoll, but... He's got three days on us, gentlemen. We got to get after it. <laughs> uh, Humpy brought Willie out to Charlotte Speedway in 1978. He Humpy thought, and Willie. Humpy and Willie. <laughs> Willie Humpy? We can only stick around to find out. <laughs> he thought it would be good for ticket sales to have a black driver on the roster in an area that was predominantly African-American. Willie impressed him immediately, and soon... They determined that their goal would be to get Willie into the World 600, a legendary 600-mile NASCAR Cup Series point race now known as the Coca-Cola 600. My dream now is to do a double now that Alanis and Elizabeth talked about it. Uh -huh. If you don't know who Alanis and Elizabeth are, they're the uh, hosts of our other podcast, Donut Racing Show. Anyway, what's a double? You go to the Indianapolis 500, and then the same day you fly... And go to the Coca-Cola 600. Oh. Sounds like a lot of parking. <laughs> we could get it hooked up, but we get a lot of golf cart rides in that day. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Finally, guys. A lot of Coca-Colas. Mm. <laughs> we love Coca-Cola. <laughs> and even though their partnership garnered the attention Humpy was after, it wasn't to Willie's advantage. Willie faced more intense racism in the South than he did in California. I mean, Shocker. <laughs> duh. <laughs> People were spitting on the ground when he passed. White drivers weren't speaking to him, and many fans were still waving rebel flags at the track. 
Uh, nothing's changed. Eventually, it began to fire Willie up. He was getting backed into a corner and felt he had to do something to get the respect that he deserved. Yeah, you kill him with kindness. Yeah, in his own words, you want to have a reason not to like me? I'm going to give you one. Uh, Hell yeah, like dude. That. That's how- I want to clock that this dude is three years older than my dad. Right now? Wow. I mean, he was born in 1955. My dad was born in 1958. My dad was also born in 55. Yeah. So this guy is as old as Nolan's dad. Mm-hmm. My dad was born in 1955. Dude. What? What day? I just want to point out. I just want to point. It's not the point. No, no, no. <laughs> what what is, day, though? <laughs> I'll tell you after the show. Was it raining? Uh, <laughs> but, the, sorry. the point is that, like, this, we're not talking about the 30s here. We're not mm-hmm. talking about yeah. the, even, like, the 50s. Like, this the 70s. is the, the late 70s, 70s. The late 70s. This is uh, guys our dad's age yeah. spitting at this dude, younger than our dad's probably. Yeah. Uh, and this guy can't isn't allowed to participate in a sport. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's sad. Yeah. It's crazy, like, man. It's bonkers. And not just in America, in the UK, too. So, like, Y'all are racist too. So he pretty much took over the whole world. <laughs> Willie was invited to the driver's meeting over race week in Talladega, Alabama, an event that included all of the participating drivers and crew chiefs. The pit lane at the now named Talladega Super Speedway was notoriously narrow, and many drivers almost crashed coming out of it. This little design flaw inspired Willie, so he raised his hand to ask a simple question. Can you pass in the grass? It was not only the worst thing he could say, but it was coy. It was daring. It was just perfectly willy. He knew what he was doing. He was making fun of their track. He was talking trash. He was giving them a reason not to like him. Later, when he was asked if he regretted this question, Willie smirked and responded, no, because that was probably one of the most intelligent questions ever asked at a Grand National Drivers meeting. It's like The Rock, dude. It's playing the heel. Yeah. That's what I do. Do you guys know what the framing device of The Rock of Young Rock, The Rock's TV show is? The entire the premise of the show is that The Rock, present-day Rock, yeah. is on the presidential campaign trail oh, right, right, and he's right. telling stories to the press about his youth. Yeah. And that's what the episodes are. It's like how I met what your a narcissist. Isn't that insane? Yeah. <laughs> that's insane. It's like yeah. how I met your president. But, yeah. like, it, he's going to be president. I hope so. I guarantee you the Rock will be president. I hope so. I will put $500,000 down that the Rock will be the president. Wow. I'll take that bet. All right. And I'll double it. And I'll double it. <laughs> I don't know what that means. It's a million-dollar bet, baby. And we're on the same side. We're on the same but side. But I'm doubling it. Dude, so we'll both get a million bucks. Yeah. Okay, I'll bet against that. Okay. How much? Uh, <laughs> a dollar? Do- triple. Okay. Through, they don't um, make president suits that big. That's that's true. How's he gonna fit behind that desk? You get There's to pick no your way. desk. You get to pick your desk. I thought yeah. it was the same desk. It's not the same desk. You get to pick an old president's desk. It's like a thing. Well, so then there's I only think, like there's only a couple desks. Yeah, yeah. So Trump picked Jefferson because he killed the most indigenous people. <laughs> <laughs> he liked him. Or Jackson. Jackson. Sorry, Jefferson. Oh, <laughs> Jackson God. killed the most indigenous people. Uh, I, but The he, Rock could just choose President Thor's desk. No, I, who's big. who's the big fat one? Oh, Taft. He probably had <laughs> The Rock would probably have to t- choose Taft's desk because it's Taft so big. had big old thick stump legs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Did he get stuck in the bathtub? Yeah, yeah. He, did. <laughs> Poor guy. he got stuck in a lot of stuff. <laughs> the slide at the McDonald's pay play place. <laughs> oh, that's man. why President's Day is a holiday. So they can close McDonald's so Cause he was stuck. Yeah, because he was stuck in a McDonald's play place and oh. they had to close the McDonald's. And they're like, hey, it's President's Day. We but also really, ran out just, of cheeseburgers. Yeah, they were just jaws of life in him. Like, hey, man, maybe stop eating the cheeseburgers because you're getting more stuck. <laughs> we'll be right back with more of this story. But first, a word from our sponsors. Passion drive and patience what brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive ebay motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers roof racks exhaust kits led headlights and more whether you're into speed power or style ebay motors has got you covered 
With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. <laughs> get it? With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Needless to say, the question didn't play very well with the crowd. After the meeting, Willie and Humpy had death threats mailed to them. Uh, these mm. people did not want a black man to race in NASCAR, and thus begins Willie's long, dysfunctional relationship with the racing series. Later in his career, he called NASCAR names like Al-Qaeda, Neckcar, and WWE. Hmm. Neckcar, like redneck car. Ah. Mm. Humpty's hands were tied. For his safety and Willie's, he decided they needed to drop out. But Willie didn't agree. He knew the risk he was taking. He was happy to do it so long as he could race. Instead, he flew home to California. That's, that's really sad, man. Yeah. When Willie returned home, he didn't know how to continue on at first. When other drivers left without a series to call home or a sponsor to push them forward, they could usually turn towards family money. But Willie's family was not in the 1%. So Willie switched careers to a different kind of driving and began driving a van for his dad's plumbing business. For three long years. Damn, from NASCAR to a van. Van car. <laughs> <laughs> I really thought I could come from up with that. NASCAR to dad's van. I was wondering what you were going to pull out. And, uh, and uh, you did not disappoint. 100% <laughs> gold. The huge Joe Gold. Then, in the early 80s, a plumbing client convinced a reluctant Willie to attend a Can-Am race at Laguna Seca Raceway. At the race, they ran into Jim Truman. Truman owned the Red Roof Inn's team. Truman recognized Willie, and when he asked Willie why he wasn't racing anymore, Willie simply replied, no backing. Truman told him to call him that Tuesday, then said, you find the team, and if you like it, tell me how much it's going to cost. I think it's pretty fun that he was Red Roof Inn sponsored race team. That's, yeah, that's pretty a good sick. sponsor. Yeah, I've never never stayed at one of those. Uh, so in 1981, Willie headed back to Long Beach to rejoin Formula Atlantic. In his first race back, he ran in the top six. Then the following year, he got pole position at the Long Beach Formula Atlantic race, qualifying three tenths of a second faster than anyone including greats like Al Unser Jr., Michael Andretti, and Jeff Bradham. That's pretty fast, dude. Three, three tenths faster around Long Beach. Whew. This was enough to garner some attention from the racing elite, including 
Formula One head, Bernie Ecclestone. This guy. That guy. Or as Willie later put it in his documentary, it proved that, quote, I'm as good as anybody in the sport. I love that he's kind of just unfettered by anything. Like, he knows how good he is. Mm -hmm. Races, gets results. Very confident. Yeah. Never is, like, wavering in his confidence. Willie led from pole for half the race until his Ford's engine blew. Willie later explained that his engine already had 1,800 miles on it, whereas his competitors had brand-new custom engines. Once again, Willie had lost out. By the end of 1982, Willie didn't have a single option to race professionally. Then, two days before Thanksgiving, one Paul Newman gave him a call. Newman and Willie had a few interactions over the years, and even though Willie knew Paul liked him, he didn't think Paul had been paying attention to him. On that phone call, Paul said, quote, I know you like Formula Atlantic, but the Trans Am series is an opportunity for you to become a paid race driver. It's going to be a first-class team. Think about it and let me know. Willie quickly replied, no, I've already thought about it. If you recommend it, I'm doing it. Imagine getting a call. You're on Thanksgiving break and you get a call from Paul Newman. Yeah, you're slicing into the turkey. Yeah, a couple days early. Yeah. We're slicing into that turkey. We were thinking Friendsgiving. Oh, um, you don't have a turkey for Friendsgiving? No, we were three days early. for. We're doing Friendsgiving. I see, I see. Oh, yeah, yeah. Nice. Willie had earned a spot driving a Chevrolet Camaro on Neil D'Atley's Budweiser team for the 1983 SCCA Trans Am Series. While the Trans Am Series wasn't as popular as IndyCar, it was still a great opportunity, even though there would most likely be a learning curve for Willie. Trans Am cars of that time were heavier, bulkier, and more difficult to control. They were they were sports cars. They're yeah. big, full size cars, not big old heavy pigs. Big old heavy pigs, unlike the the super light open wheelers of IndyCar. But Willie had something other drivers switching series didn't: his time on his grandfather's ranch. We're ah. going back to the ranch, boys. Living on that ranch had given Willie a chance to learn distinct car control at an early age, and as a result. He knew how to slide a heavy vehicle. This is also a theme that we see a lot in scripts where, like, when you're 12 years old and you don't know about death yet, you're uh-huh. more willing to, like, put the car in a, in a slide. Do and some fun stuff. Do some cuckoo stuff. Yeah. We were out at my buddy's ranch in Pozo. I was at my friend Cody's house when we were like Cody from Pozo. Cody from Pozo. I'm not in Pozo. Cody's home. He's got like two hundred <laughs> something acres out there, but he had a sixty-five. He had a sixty-four and a half Mustang at mm. the the six in it, and we uh, we took it for a little little fast little drive around Pozo. Yeah. We came around a turn though. The rear end steps out, and we like spin around, and there's like a Mercedes coming at us. Uh-oh. Luckily though. Did yeah. not crash, obviously. That was the big pig farmer in town, and he yeah, he's yeah, like, if you would have pissed, I'm on my way to see these hogs. What's I'm this a, car coming at me? Yeah, was this a horse car? Uh, world-renowned British driver David Hobbs was Willie's teammate. Hobbs already had a reputation. He had landed on the Le Mans podium three times in the '60s and had driven in four Formula One seasons. And he landed on my TV screen as a kid because he owns a car dealership in Milwaukee. David Hobbs Honda. Is that for real? The same David Hobbs? Same. I had to look it up because I was like, who's this British dude trying to hawk Hondas in no Milwaukee? No way. Hawk a Hondas, you British dude. Yeah. Wow. Hello, I'm David Hobbs. Welcome to Honda. That's crazy. Yeah. Hobbs was switching it up by driving a Trans Am car. Because of his experience, Hobbs was the number one driver, meaning that he got the better equipment, he got the new engines, components, everything. But even though Willie was technically the second driver, he didn't let that stop him from taking Hobbs down a peg. Willie beat Hobbs at the Portland International Raceway, the fourth race of the season, and earned his first win in the series. This win was enough of a confidence boost to propel Willie forward. He became unbeatable in a Trans Am car and was quickly considered a rising rookie in the sport. But his streak also led to a rivalry between himself and teammate David Hobbs. Willie's personality is bold, proud, and polarizing. He makes it known that he's good as we've seen so far. Mm -hmm. And at the time, many people didn't like that, including his bosses. In the documentary Uppity, Willie described his time as follows. Quote, it wasn't about racing. The disrespect was about you're not towing the subservient line. 
That was the attitude that team manager John Dick gave me. You're lucky to be here. John Dick made it obvious that he preferred David to Hobbs and tried to manipulate the team. He wanted Hobbs to be the best, even though Willie was a faster driver. Dick and Willie's relationship eventually grew. Come on. Dick and Willie. Humpy, get in there. Dick and Willie are fighting again. Dick and Willie's relationship eventually grew so fraught that halfway through the 1983 season, the two stopped speaking to each other altogether. Then came time for the penultimate race in Riverside. That's right. There was a racetrack in Riverside. It's gone now. There's a neighborhood there. The team asked Willie to give way to Hobbs, which would clinch the championship for his teammate. Though Willie refused at first, he eventually agreed to the deal as long as he got the first place money. And that's how it went down. David Hobbs won the Trans Am Series championship, and Willie T. Ribs took home the first place winnings and tried to forget it ever happened. When the season finale in Las Vegas came around, Willie left Hobbs in the dust and won. He also won Rookie of the Year. That would piss me off more than anything as a driver if they're like, we know you're faster, can you just slow down so this British guy can win? You might be wondering, hey, what track in Vegas was that? Uh, It was actually the same Caesars Palace Grand Prix that they did the parking lot race um, that they did in Formula One as well. So probably the same race weekend or weekend before, who knows. Willie went into the 1984 series with the championship in mind. The team was now swapping their Camaros for Corvettes, and he was excited for the new challenge. Road Atlanta was the first race of the year. On a Sunday morning warm-up, a hotshot newcomer named Bob Lobenberg drove up alongside Willie into the dip at 190 miles per hour. Lobenberg forced Willie off the road, an experience Willie describes as, quote, kind of like pointing a gun at you and pulling the trigger. Afterwards, Willie ran down his car, yelled at him, and hit him in the helmet. Understandable. This physicality wasn't rare at this point in racing. Violent little bursts happened after races all the time, especially after some risky behavior on the track. Willie said, quote, If a driver was out there driving and somebody cut him off, at the end of the race, they fought it out. But because a black man slapped a white man, the incident was treated differently. The slap gave John Dick a reason to fire Willie from the team. And once again, at the age of 29, Willie was back at square one. He may have been fired on Sunday, but Willie was hired on Monday after he received a call from the director of special vehicles operations of Ford Motor Company. Hmm. You want to get in our Taurus? (laughs) After that, Edsel Ford came on the line. That's right. Uh, Henry Ford's sickly little son, grandson. Uh, and asked Willie if he'd want to come to Detroit and race for Jack Roush's team, Roush Racing. He promised that you can be Willie T. Ribs. We just want you to win. Willie agreed. Nice. Jack Roush was a Ph.D. carrying mathematician who wanted to build a precise machine for Willie's fast driving. Willie described Jack as almost psychotic when it came to engine power. It took quite a bit of development, Willie Missed the first four races of the 1984 season. But by the time it was done, the factory-backed Mercury Capri was a masterpiece. Nice. I'm talking Mona Lisa levels of good car. 60% content. 30% <laughs> contemplative. Nice. That's 90%. That's all you need. Weight savings. <laughs> It was one of the few times Willie might have had a mechanical advantage in his career. Willie entered the Trans Am Series on race five and immediately hit a winning streak. He won four out of the eight races he entered. Man, what a, I mean, those, I bet those cars were so cool looking. (laughs) (laughs) I would love to go to a race like that. I mean, it's an 80s Mercury. (laughs) No, it's Trans Am though. Yeah. And the Mercury Capri was, wasn't that a Mustang? It was like a Fox body, right? I believe so. Yeah, oh, man, this is sweet as hell. I told you. Yeah. Yeah, Joe, you were cool. so oh wrong. Oh, my God. Dude. I eat my words. Yeah, you were wrong as hell. Man. I'm not afraid to admit when I'm wrong. I was wrong. <laughs> I no, was tight. wrong. That's really Dude, cool. it's so dude, low. It looks like an AE86. Yeah, it's tight. Oh, it's got a 7-Eleven livery. <laughs> 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 dude, I want this. That's sick. Oh, how fat those dude, tires are, dude. Yeah, I knew it was going to be sick. This is way sicker than I even thought it would be. <laughs> oh, my Lord. 
I want it, dude. Imagine if we got that and you restored it, mm-hmm. and then yeah. you parked it at Seven Eleven oh. and took pictures you'd and get, put it on the gram. You get so many likes. Oh you get mad likes, you'd dude. Get so many likes. Yeah, Petrolicious liked this. I'm oh. adding this to my <laughs> little baby bucket list. Okay, I got a little baby bucket list. I want to own a Roush Trans Am Capri. That's different than my baby bucket list, which is have a baby. Oh, <laughs> Joe. Your ovaries are showing. <laughs> I want to have a baby, too. Maybe our babies can be friends. Yeah, hopefully. Nolan's getting married. Mm-hmm. Our babies can be friends, too. Yeah. Awesome. What if your baby's my baby's boss? Do you think that'll be weird? <laughs> like, good job. You did it. <laughs> You did it. <laughs> you did it. <laughs> it's been 20 years in the making. <laughs> because Ford let Willie be Willie, he hit a new stride in his trash-talking attitude and started performing Muhammad Ali's signature shuffle on top of his car during his oh, winning that's, that's super cool. Heck yeah, dude. That's yeah. cool. Shake and bake. Shake and bake, baby. Yeah, you know, Muhammad Ali. Shake and bake. <laughs> <laughs> in his own words, he said, after my third victory, I thought I got to do something special. When people started to complain about his theatrics, he simply replied, if you don't want me to do that, then beat me. Ooh, yeah. Dude, yeah. that's sick. Talk it's that simple trash, as that. Dude. Simple as that. I got an idea. How about you win then, you dumb dork? Sucks to suck, yeah. dude. Yeah. Sorry, oh, not sorry, my man. It's hard to dance in the pits when you're losing. Hey, oh, here's a little tip. The right foot makes it faster. <laughs> <laughs> Around this time, Willie was regularly referred to as uppity, which is a terrible word. Due to his attitude and behavior. In his own words, do you expect me to be a second-class citizen to you? You are not entitled over me. And that was the reason they called me uppity. And I loved it. Yeah, I think they describe in the documentary that it's usually coupled with the N-word. Mm-hmm. So it was just a subtle little yeah. dog whistle. After the last race of 1984 in Vegas, Willie was introduced to legendary sports promoter Don King. Whoa. The first of many American black icons that Willie's career intertwined with. Uh, Don King was uh, promoted Mike Tyson. Yeah. He's a big, tall hair, quite Mm -hmm. a character. Yeah, very, very. Big uh, glasses. Big glasses. Always wear like a tux. Iconic. If you you were a person in the 90s, you knew who he was. He uh, represented... Fred Willard. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. Don, let me get some of that old. <laughs> I'll, I'll fight whoever you want. Just give me that <laughs> ginger ale. <laughs> I'll kill a man for a Werner's old passion. <laughs> Don saw the potential in Willie and offered him a contract to race an IndyCar, Willie's dream. Even though the contract was sketchy and skewed heavily in Don's favor. As it always was. Yup. Willie signed it. He just wanted to race in the Indy 500. So Don called up his contacts at the Miller Brewing Company and told them they needed to get Willie into the race. Cut to 1985. And, well, Don got Willie into the Indy 500, but not in the right way. Usually a month before every Indy, drivers head to Phoenix to practice with their car, their engineer, and their team. But Willie didn't get that experience. He was told to just show up at the track. What? (laughs) His team, owned by Sherman Armstrong, was brand new. It literally was not put together until about 48 hours before the race. Hmm. And the March chassis they were using wasn't ready. And neither was the second-hand Cosworth engine. Hmm. Not a good uh, combination. No, those are two of the main things. Yeah. (laughs) To make matters even worse, Willie's chief mechanic... Was blind. (laughs) 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 To make matters even worse, Willie's chief mechanic, Paul Leffler, wouldn't even talk to him. The driver called working with Paul eerie. 
since the man clearly didn't want anything to do with Willie based on his race. This is 1985. Yeah, it's insane. Wow. Ugh, what a freaking dork. I mean, racing is like an old old boys. Mm-hmm. What do yeah. they call it? Good old boys? Good old boys. Yeah. More like bad old boys. I'm going to be honest, dude. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be honest, dude. More like bad old boys, dude. dude. You're not talking to Willie T. Ribs because of his race, dude. That's some bad old boy talk. I wouldn't stuff, trust dude. that guy working on my car. If I got to go 200 in his car. That's a good point. Yeah, so Willie said that the guy didn't like him based on his race. For example, Leffler wouldn't give Willie any technical information and didn't walk him through the circuit at all. While his competitors were routinely hitting 200 miles per hour, Willie couldn't get the car past 170. Eventually, it became clear that it wouldn't be safe for him to compete, and Willie was forced to make the gut-churning decision to back out of the Indy 500, a race that he had always dreamed of. Damn, that sucks. Dude, Damn. You know what i do, dude? I'd sit this guy down and give him the business. The press took the opportunity to criticize Willie. Fans made a mockery of him. Even the racetrack chimed in and offered a special menu item for the 1985 Indy 500, chicken and ribs. Hmm. This is 1985. Yeah, not good. That is a good combo, though. If I have that option, I'm getting that. At the Detroit Grand Prix, Don flew in to introduce Willie to someone massively important. F1 team owner, Bernie Ecclestone. He wasn't in control of the FIA or Formula One at that point. He was just a team owner at this point. team owner, that's right. Was soon to become the FIA director. Mm -hmm. Uh, A notorious one. Very corrupt. I mean, we've done an episode on him. Yeah. Yeah, check it out. Anyway, Don told Bernie all about his fearless driver and wanted to make Willie a Formula One world champion. Bernie had noticed Willie earlier in his career and agreed to let him test an F1 car in Portugal after the Trans Am season was over. There was only one problem, though. Jack Roush was notoriously possessive. No, he's mine. After he caught wind that Willie had aspirations outside of Ford, mysterious things started happening to Willie's engineering. You had blown engines, strange gear ratios. All of a sudden, Willie was struggling with cornering. According to Willie, quote, it was either feast or famine. Either you won or you had a mechanical issue. I won eight races, 51% of laps. I led. Despite the issues he had during the 1985 season, Willie finished in second in the championship. But he also knew it was time to leave Jack Roush's team. In 1986, Willie flew to Portugal to test a Brabham becoming the first black man to test for Formula One. In 1986. Yeah, wow. These cars were so much more demanding than anything Willie had ever driven. Yet, he was still challenged to set a I low lap time. I was eating solid food <laughs> when the first black man yeah. tested mm-hmm. for Formula One. After his Lewis f- Hamilton was, like, eating food. <laughs> <laughs> Like yeah. solid food, like yeah. he, like at this point. Yeah, in in England. In I'm, England, he was eating like baby chips and baby, <laughs> baby bangers. Chips. Baby bangers and baby, baby bangers. bangers. But I'm, I'm saying that like for context yeah. to like how recently this was. That the first guy tested, not even drove, tested. Yeah. Like they don't even air that. That's like allowing you to come over. Yeah, yeah. basically. And like, yeah, Lewis Hamilton was very much alive because he's older than me. By a month or two. Um, but he was eating, yeah, probably fish and chips. But like baby versions. Baby versions, yeah. yeah. Smushed up. Mush. Can okay. you hey, smush mom, it for me, mommy, baby? Maybe you smush it, mushy peas. <laughs> <laughs> After Willie's first lap time was set, Willie chipped away at that time, getting it lower and lower with each run. The team threw different tires on the car and asked Willie to hit a lower time, and Willie beat that goal by a full second. That's good. Yeah, that's great. By the time he boarded his flight back to the States, Willie felt certain he'd be coming home to a Formula One contract. Instead, Willie got a call from Ecclestone. The team's sponsor was Olivetti, an Italian company, and they wanted Italian drivers. Willie wouldn't be driving in Formula oh One. Oh, my God. Oh, man, Joe, what is wrong with your people? <laughs> <laughs> we'll get back to more past gas, but right now, a word from our sponsors. So, Willie decided to stick it out with NASCAR. 
He received a call from Bill Gardner, owner of DeGard Motorsports. That's like me saying, hey, I got a motorsports team. We're called DePump. <laughs> That'd be pretty cool, actually. Yeah, DePump Motorsports. Yeah. Okay, let's do it. If anyone wants to back me and Joe's racing team. Yeah, and also design all the stuff for free for us. <laughs> Yeah, you got to be a rare mix of a venture capitalist and sick graphic designer. We know it's a small pool, but we're optimistic. We know Hit they're us up out there. At Mrs. Harry Styles at gmail.com. There you go. <laughs> Willie joined DeGard for the 1986 season. Miller Brewing Company was their primary sponsor. Yet the moment Willie joined the team, they pulled their funding. Way to go, Miller. 1986. Instead, Willie's old friend Jim Truman stepped in and granted the team funding for selected races. Willie's first race was in North Wilkesboro, North Carolina. Two Norths, don't make a right. And when his name was called, the entire audience booed. Mm. Uh. It was clear that NASCAR still wasn't going to accept him. In the summer of 1986, Jim Truman passed away from cancer. This crushed Willie's spirit. In his own words, Jim was the guy that got me out of the dark but he had to keep going in his friend's honor. The next race in the series was at Watkins Glen, and Bill Gardner knew this was Willie's chance to win and earn a major sponsor that would help save the team. Because DeGard was low on funding, they had to borrow engines from Robert Yates, a fellow engineer. The engines were awful. <laughs> the team had multiple engines blow in three to four laps. Oh, my God. That was during testing. Willie couldn't compete, and within two days, Bill Gardner was out of business. And right after that, the engineer that lent them the engines, Robert Yates, became a team owner. After racing only three times in the 1986 season, Willie was done with NASCAR. It's just so hard when you don't have money. Just getting used engines. Mm -hmm. At the end of 1986, Willie started driving for Brooks Racing in the International Motorsport Association, or IMSA. He kicked off the season well with a second-place finish at the Watkins Glen 500. In first place was Dennis Ace, a driver who raced for Dan Gurney, Willie's childhood hero. After standing on the podium and getting sprayed with champagne, Willie walked up to Dan and told him, quote, I want to race for you in 1987. And so it happened, and Willie was racing for Dan Gurney the very next year. That's super cool. The 1987 IMSA season was one for the record books. Willie began driving Toyota Celicas for Dan Gurney and won four races that year. And meanwhile, his old boss, Jack Roush, was taking major pride in his new driver, one Scott Pruitt, and would tell anyone and everyone that he was the best driver he'd ever worked with. Willie was offended by Jack's comments about his new driver, and it began a season-long feud between the two of them. The feud became extra fiery when the two drivers went head-to-head -head in Portland. I mean... Jack's not going to be like our new driver. He's like the second best driver. He's the second ever best driver with. I've ever had. Hey, this is my new wife. She's the almost the she's, she's one of the, the best second wives best I've wife ever, had. ever had. Like <laughs> that's just part of the business, I think. Yeah, you can't. I mean, it's PR. It's PR. Yeah. yeah. No one's going to be like, oh, like if he said second yeah. best, everyone be like. Uh, Every year in Formula One, when the new cars get it's revealed, the it's the best car yeah. ever. It's our fastest car ever. All the drivers are like, it looks so, f my car looks so fast this year. And then they, yeah. three races in there, huge They're piles complaining of crap. About it. Willie was in the lead at Portland International Speedway when Jack instructed Pruitt to take Willie out. Hmm. Pruitt rammed Willie and spun him out. This okay. maneuver popped Willie's tire and Pruitt took the lead. That's lame as heck, yeah, dude. Come on, Jack Roush. More like Jack Trash. Yeah. After the race, against Dan Gurney's wishes, Willie ran down to the pit to confront Pruitt. His temper got the best of him. He reached into Scott's car and punched him in the face. There was a woman in the car with Pruitt. What? The whole race? I don't know how that happened. According to Willie, Pruitt tried to use her as a shield <laughs> before removing himself from the fight and going straight to the press room. He told the world that Willie hit a woman at oh the racetrack. Oh, my God. What a wiener. Because all this was on race grounds, Willie was suspended for 30 days. That's lame as hell, dude. The season was going to be determined by the final race in Del Mar, California. Shouts to Del Mar. Shouts. Willie was determined to beat Pruitt and Roush, and Gurney wanted to beat Ford. The rival teams were only two points apart after 16 races. And needless to say, there's a lot riding on the race beyond the Manufacturers' Championship. 
This was personal. Willie drove flawlessly. He put Pruitt into the dirt, won IMSA Driver of the Year, and helped the Toyota team win the Manufacturer's Championship. Hell yeah, Willie. Hell Let's yeah, go. Willie. Willie. Humpy was there. No, it's John Boner. Dick. Oh, Christi- Boner was in the pits. Christina shared with us why, Boner Nelson. Why he was called Humpy. Why? Because his dad uh, was seen smoking camel cigarettes by his friends. Like a camel's hump. Camel's got a hump. Oh. So his dad was named Humpy. And then his he dad's friends started calling him Humpy Jr. <laughs> okay. So he was called Humpy his entire life because his dad smoked a pack of cigarettes before he oh was my born. Oh, God. Wow. I may be glad that we don't have nicknames like that yeah. anymore. Yeah. Because my name would be... Talk about sins of the father there. You yeah, know. for sure. That's like, <clears throat> it's something you don't think about when you name your kid the same name as you. They're going to get a nickname. Probably sure. based off of your behavior. Maybe Probably. maybe a sound they made when they were young. Yeah. Like Mimi. Yeah. Me-me. Something like that. <laughs> I don't know. I was my nickname when I was a kid was GP because my older sister thought that my initials were G P. Oh. But it was J E P. J P. Yeah. And then they'd call me Jeep. Mm. There you go. I used to wish that that stuck around, but now I'm glad it didn't. I'd probably have a crew cut. <laughs> <laughs> Jeep Pumphrey, nice to meet you. Ooh, welcome to Jeep Ford in Infinity. They didn't let me be a cop. <laughs> <laughs> Said I was too aggressive. I'm, uh, I, you don't want to fight me, bro. My yeah. I, I, my eyes just go red, and I, I go yeah. into the zone. I know the law too well. <laughs> Speaking of fathers, in 1988, Willie's father got a call from America's father, Bill Cosby. Oh. He's touring uh, this summer. Is he? What? Yeah. No way. Dude, we should go and see what it's <laughs> no. like. Dude, we should go and see what it's like. We should drug him. <laughs> <laughs> Put, like, chloroform on his microphone? Yeah. Yeah. Give him a little, hey. Give him a little <laughs> willy to your ribs. A little pound of flesh. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Remember, this was before everyone knew about all the Cosby stuff. Before Hannibal, <laughs> Hannibal Burst. Yeah, yeah. Hannibal Burst, Pro on Blast. Yeah, yeah. and uh, rightfully so. Yeah, this was like right in the middle of it going on. Uh, so Cosby was looking for Willie, and somehow wound up calling his childhood home. Then, once he realized his mistake, he flew to Vegas to meet with Willie himself, and probably committed crimes there. Willie told Cosby about his lifelong desire to race in the Indy 500 and his plan to win. Cosby asked what he needed, and Willie said half a million dollars. Cosby promised to fund him, but said they still needed outside investment as well. He thought that with his name recognition and stardom, they could attract outside sponsors. He then went to the companies that he was the spokesperson for. Coke. Jello. (laughs) And Kodak. But after all of them <laughs> turned him down, dude, a Jello livery. Oh man, pretty go, yeah. go pretty hard, I think. <laughs> they all turned him down. Racing wasn't for them. Coke, yes, it is. Kodak, yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, Jello, I don't know. <laughs> Again, would be a sick livery. And it Jello was hard for either man to ignore the racial implications in all this. Then Derek Walker, an independent factory Porsche IndyCar owner, heard Willie was gunning for Indy, and he decided to get up all in that mix. (laughs) He loved Willie as a driver, and he started assembling a team for the 1991 Indy 500. But even though Walker could put a great team together, he was far from wealthy. Hey, that's little. Okay. He's doing okay. (laughs) (laughs) Even though he was very far from wealthy. Couldn't even see wealthy from where he lived. (laughs) Even though Cosby had contributed $350,000, that was still a fraction of what other teams were starting with. Walker Racing had hand-me-down equipment, including a used 1990 Lola, old engines, and less personnel than most indie teams. To say they were underdogs is an understatement. Luckily, they had a great engineer, Tim 
Wardrop. <laughs> Wardrop. Wardrop. Oh, did you get the new Wardrop? There's a crate full of <laughs> AR-15s. Yeah, I have my monthly Wardrop yeah. subscription. It's <laughs> AR. I get nine Supreme. AR-15s a month. <laughs> They're Supreme branded. Supreme. Uh, yeah, I got a hairy bow AR. Tim and Willie developed a great rapport. Uh, as he could communicate technical info in a way that Willie could work with. Compared to other engineers Willie had worked with, namely the bigoted Paul Leffler. That's right, we're putting you on blast, Paul, you racist. <laughs> if Paul Leffler's your dad, your dad's a racist. <laughs> Paul Leffler. F you, pal. <laughs> uh, if you're Paul Leffler's grandkid, sorry, we'll adopt you and raise you right. Uh, working with Tim was a dream for Willie. Tim had won three indies as an engineer and understood Willie's driving skill. Their connection bred hope for the rest of the team. Major hype started to build in the racing world for the underdog dream team. Willie, Tim, Walker, and Cosby. Now it's time to qualify. Willie once again faced an uphill battle against the financial freedom of other teams since he was driving borrowed equipment from Buick. He was also the only black driver attempting to qualify. But despite these drawbacks, Willie was feeling good. On the 1991 Indy 500, Willie said that there was more mutual respect between the drivers than he was used to. And for the first time, felt like he belonged there. Finally, someone's stroking Willie's ego. During the month of May, when each team was running trials and attempting to qualify for the race, Joey Ray, an African-American driver from the generation prior to Willie, came to visit him. Willie invited him into the garage, and Joey continued to come visit him throughout the entire month. Joey's presence was an honor for Willie and gave him a major boost of confidence. Poor old Joey Ray. But this confidence boost couldn't fix Willie's technical issues. Throughout qualifying, Willie blew three engines, and the third one was the team's last shot to make it into the Indy 500. The team decided to rip apart the engine and start from scratch, with mere minutes to spare. This was when Tim Wardrop made a career-defining engineering move, and Willie hit the track with only 15 minutes before the cutoff time. With the attention of his peers, idols, and teammates, Willie T. Ribs qualified for the Indy 500 and became the first African-American to do it. Hell yeah, Willie! 1991. Mm -hmm. Willie T. Ribs retired in 1999. But like every other race car driver that we talk about on this show, he participated in a few races and events since. Most recently in the Superstar Racing Experience Series in the 2021. SRX. SRX. Cool. Tony Stewart's racing series. Oh, they oh. race on... Dirt and asphalt ovals in it's a spec series. They all race the same car. That's sick. He's also done a fair bit of commentary, most notably the 2022 F1 Miami Grand Prix. That's oh. right. Uh, That's Miami right. Grand Prix That's coming up. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> he had some some funny moments. That's cool. <laughs> I think they should bring some different types of people in to comment oh yeah because like, like the rock martin bringle or whatever his name is gringle <laughs> gringle martin brundle martin, martin brundle hogwarts he's all right he's great at his mm -hmm. job but man like yeah i want to hear what jamie kennedy has to say yeah stuff. oh yeah you know he would push the limits dude i want to yeah. hear what malibu's most wanted has to say about the grid dj qualls DJ Qualls. Yeah. Is that the skinny guy? DJ Qualls! From Eurotrip, right? Yeah. That'd yeah, I want to hear what DJ Qualls and Jamie Kennedy Yeah, yeah. Say. Caroline Ray, get her in there. Yeah, please. Uh, can Amy Smart have an opinion, please? <laughs> <laughs> Willie also accompanies his son, Theo, around the world in support of his professional clay shooting career, something the driver himself tried out oh, for a bit. That's sick. Yeah, that's fun. Willie said... I thought when I retired that I wouldn't be traveling anymore, but I ended up traveling more with him. <laughs> I feel like you put a weird emphasis on that. <laughs> I don't know. That's how we've traveled to Dubai, Italy, Jamaica, Mexico City, Cyprus, England, and Fontana, California. 
I got into it competitively, but Theo got so good that I had to quit. Willie T. Ribs had to fight his way up a mountain of challenges, setbacks, and intolerance from the moment he decided to become a race car driver. But his take no attitude and his showmanship helped him as he climbed slowly but surely into a comfortable and well-deserved seat at the table of racing history. When discussing the struggles he faced, Willie put it best himself. Quote, the irony is that auto racing is a sport of speed and development and technology. Everything is about speed and going fast, but auto racing has been the slowest of all sports on this planet to diversify. Damn, yeah. dog. That's for pretty, sure. Pretty freaking yeah. true, man. Check out Uppity if you haven't already. It's a really, it's it's a great documentary. It's eye-opening. Yeah. Yeah, and Paul Leffler and all your kin, <laughs> you're a racist, dog. Okay. Uh <laughs> We got some listener mail this week. Yeah, I'll read it. Okay. Greetings, Donut Media. I was peacefully listening to episode number 165, Fast and Furious Part 1, when I looked in the lane next to me and saw none other than a red F-150 SVT Lightning. Oh, nice. Sweet. It looked just like the one with the Racers lo Edge logo on the side, with the exception of not having the logo and having hood flames. This is a good reminder for all listeners to keep not just their ears, but their eyes open. <laughs> for you never know if the subject of the episode is mere feet away. However, if they are driving, ideally their <laughs> eyes are already open. Enjoy the podcast, Everett from Portland, Oregon. Oh, thanks, Thank Everett. Everett. Everett shouts to Portland. Uh, you know, Carl Jung says that if it's too on the nose to be a coincidence, it's probably not. That's serendipity, guys. Everything's connected. Everything just kind of is. Is that the the guy from Blow? Yeah, Carl Jung from Blow. <laughs> if you'd like to get in touch with the show, hit us up at passgaspodcast.donutmedia.com. We'd love to hear your email on the air. Tell us about what kind of flames you saw and what kind of car. Follow the boys at... James Pumphrey at Joji Weber. Follow me at Nolan J. Sykes. Follow Donut everywhere at Donut Media. And check out our other podcast, Donut Racing Show, hosted by Nolan. That's right. Uh, Elizabeth Blackstock. And Alanis King. And also check out Real Mechanic Stuff, our new YouTube channel. Our it's a latest, React channel. It's a just React got channel. Silver play button, 100,000 subs. We just hit and 12 trendy. on trending today, That's, which is insane. It was created yeah. and, five weeks ago. That's and Donut so Podcast has a silver play button going yes. too. Oh, yeah. you can watch that if you're listening to this on Spotify. We've started uploading videos of these episodes again yeah. on our you YouTube guys channel. Asked for it. Donut Podcast. Check mm -hmm. those out. And I'm not kidding. Go follow me on Instagram. I've plateaued yeah. at James Pumphrey. A. It's a dying platform. Circular A. No, it's not. You don't it have to say be. the circular A. People circular don't know that a, that's Circular A. J-A-M-E-S-P-U-M-P-H-R-E-Y. Okay? <laughs> Follow me on it. I don't know what the future's going to hold, and I need no foothold. Yeah. <laughs> All right. See you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>